I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to be taking a look today at verses 13 through 16. I'm going to read the text first, and then we will, and children are dismissed to uh, nursery. Praise the Lord. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 beginning with verse 13, looking at verses 13 through 16. It reads as follows. And all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them from, um, and, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they are strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. And by the way, just bear with me. Sometimes people come into the... uh, meeting and I have to admit them in here so uh, I want to share with you first you know there's three elements to good solid preaching there's three elements the first element is exposition exposition is what does the text say the second one is exhortation why is the text important and the third one is application is what does this have to do with me? How do I apply this to my life, right? The reason I bring that up is that in our church, we're known, we're known for our exposition and we're known for our exhortation. Exposition is defining the text. Exhortation is pounding the text, if I could say that. It's, it's in, you know, the emphasis. Why is this important? Why do we do this? And then, of course, application is... Well, how does, what does this have to do with my life? Today we're going to look at Hebrews 11, but we're going we're to kind of broaden the reins a little bit. I want to do it within the context of the upcoming new year. And I know we're close to ending a year that many of us wish we probably would have forgotten by now, right? It's been a long, drawn-out year. For so many, full of sadness, confusion. For many, it's been a terrible year. I mean, we started off our service today praying for Nancy and Isabella in the hospital again, yet again, and going through difficult times. But for many, it's been a year of illness, economic hardship, lost friendships. We, in particular, lost our church building, um, our church location. A word we never heard before has become common, COVID. Some of you have had it. It's come into some of our homes. Um, Masks, hand sanitizers, things we never thought about before. Temperature scanning. Toilet paper. Lysol spray. All of a sudden you can't find it anywhere. Remote schooling, unfortunately lost jobs, lost businesses, unemployment, an awful election, a pending change in government, 
the rise of Christian antagonism and potential persecution of the church in America, outlawing, overreaching, unconstitutional governors, etc., etc., etc. For many of us, 2020 is something that we'd like to forget. It's the bad dream that we pray that we wake up from. Now, there is a positive side. It's been a year of people awakening. A lot of believers, believe it or not, are awakening and going, God, what are you doing? And now you need to awaken your people. People are praying for the revival of the church. I, for one, am doing that, and there are others with me in this church that are doing that. A great prayer opportunity of seeing God's people roused to faithfulness, the love of the church, the preaching of God's Word, the ministry, um, outdoor Bible studies, Zoom calls, you name it. As this year is closing out, I thought about 2021. My son said something to me the other day. He goes, everybody thinks that, you know, December 31st is going to end and January 1st is going to come. We're going to go, yay, it's January 1st. All those bad things are gone. No, they're still going to be here. And what are we going to face as individuals? And what are we going to face as a church? We'll be under a new government. And I want everyone to be encouraged. I want you to really be encouraged about this. God is indeed on the throne and has never been dethroned. And He will always be. And that if we are in Christ, we don't have anything to fear. Let me say that again. If we are in Christ, we don't have anything to fear. Matter of fact, I think Paul sums it up greatly in Romans 8.31 when he says this, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So in our text today, I want to call your, uh, to attention, I want to call to your mind three important principles that the writer of Hebrews shares in this text in Hebrews chapter 11. And they are as, follow, uh, and they are as follows. Number one, God is faithful to His promises. God is faithful to His promises. Secondly, God is faithful to His kingdom. And thirdly, God is faithful to His people. Now I start off talking about by three facets of good preaching, right? Exposition, exhortation, and application. But today is going to be more of an encouragement. And, you know, I was really thinking about this. I wanted to speak from my, really from my heart. It's really an encouragement to the church. Because if there's anything synonymous with 2020 was discouragement. It's such a discouraging year. And and you put on the news and all you get is more and more discouragement. So I want this to be an encouragement to all of you to receive it personally, and to be encouraged by the Word of God. So let's look at our text in a little bit more detail. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to look at first at verse 13. And I'll reread verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles 
on the earth. And this is the first thing I want to look like, uh, look at. God is faithful to His promises. And by the way, that's something that every believer in Christ can bank on. He is faithful to His promises. God is faithful to His Word. He exalts His Word above His name. And how great is that, that we could have a God who is faithful to His Word above His very own name. And so just for a background of what's going on here in Hebrews, right? Hebrews is written to Jewish people in the dispersion at the time, right? And here in chapter 11, he is building this case. And this case is all about, you know, how we have a more excellent Savior, more excellent than angels, more excellent than the law, more excellent than the priesthood. And he's continuing this building up. And he gets to Hebrews chapter 11. And now, as you might know, Hebrews chapter 11 is referred to as the the hall of faith. We see all these great Old Testament saints and he's going to talk about how it is by faith. By faith, they were able to do the great exploits. And may I share something with you today as well. It is by faith, by faith, that we can do the impossible for Christ. Even in the midst of a so-called pandemic, even in the midst of everything that we see around us, By faith, it is God's strengthening, it is God's faith that equips and enables the believer. It enables ordinary people to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. We got to get to a point, listen, we got to condition our minds and we got to condition our hearts to get to that point that says, if I put myself in the hands of God, God can do extraordinary things through me. Extraordinary things. And so in chapter 11 here, he's building this example. He starts off by talking about how the men of old gained approval. And he said it was by faith. And he goes through Abel. And then he goes through Cain. And he goes through Enoch. And he keeps going. Verse 6, he hits upon, without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is And he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And I like the way the King James says, those who diligently seek him. It is by faith. Faith is not wishful thinking. He gives us the definition in Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. It is that assurance in the word, in the person of God and who God is. So we don't have wishful thinking. The world talks about faith as some kind of mystical, undefined thing. Oh, you got to have faith. But we as believers, our faith is rooted and grounded in the author of that faith, God, and His Word. In verse 7, he talks about Noah, who by faith... Uh, God used them to build an ark. He talks about in verse 8, Abraham. And he talks about how by faith he lived as an alien in a land of promise. He was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder. He talks about by faith even Sarah had the ability to conceive well beyond childbearing years. And then he gets to verse 13. He says, all of these great saints of God died in faith. 
without having received the promises. I think this is many. This is an amazing thing. When we see things running counter to how we want them to be, when we look back on this past year and we see all the things that have befallen our society, and we look in the Scripture and we see things that are ahead of us, it is only by faith that we can come to that place and realize that God is indeed faithful to His promises. I was having a conversation this week with someone and I said, I remember when I was young and uh, we'd hear these messages about revelations and, you know, sign of things that were going to come, all these things that were going to come, all these things that were going to happen. And now I'm living them. Now I'm living them. Now they're here. Now so many of the things that were told when I was a young child, are now starting to develop. And we can see, we those believers can now see God's plan unfolding right before our very eyes. God's plan is unfolding right before our very eyes. This isn't as depressing as it may sound. We get to see the great plan of God unfold. And we, like these Old Testament saints down in the Hebrews, we're seeing the promises of God work out before us. But the question then becomes, how does our faith sustain us? The writer of Hebrews gives us two answers found in Hebrews 10, verse 36 and verse 39. Look what he says, how our faith sustains us. He says, Verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you might receive what was promised. You have need of endurance. Church, what needs to happen in 2021 should the Lord tarry in 2022, in 2023, is that the people of God need to endure. And that word endurance is a great word. It means steadfastness. Remaining under. Remaining under that promise of God. You have need of endurance. You have need to stay steadfast under the promises of God. I love that old hymn that says, Standing on the promises of God, my King. Anybody know that beside me? Through eternal ages, let His praise and His reign. That's what we need to do. We need to stand under the promises of God. And by the way, can I say something about that too? Let's not get all nuts about standing under the promises of God that they're all things that are parochial to us. God's going to bless me. God's going to do this. God's going to do the other thing. But we're standing under the promises of God as revealed in His Word in its entirety and the message to the church. Where else can you draw comfort? Where else can you draw encouragement? Where else can you be sustained in turbulent times? The believer remains under the promise of God, knowing that God is not only the God cannot lie, manipulate, deceive, or mislead. 
we persevere with the promise that God is indeed faithful to His Word. Look at verse 39. Of the believer, he says, But we are not those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Notice that. Believers are not the ones that go back. They're not the ones that shrink back to destruction. Believers, as he said in verse 36, remain under the promise of God. Believers don't go backwards. They may stumble and fall, but they don't go backwards. We do not abandon the faith. We do not abandon our hope, which is found only in Jesus Christ. We have a certainty and a hope. I like that term that the Bible uses there, shrink back. It means it literally means to turn back to apostasy. To go back to unbelieving. That's not the believer. So even though we see so many things of the world kind of disintegrating, we see a rapid increase in the degeneracy that we see in the world. Church, we don't shrink back. Why? Because God is faithful to His promises. He is faithful to His promises. Believers remain under the load. They bear the load. They remain under the promises of God. God is indeed faithful to His promises. Look at the second half of verse 13. He talks about those who died in faith without receiving the promises. And look at, look at how appropriate this was. They had promises of God that God would send a Messiah, that God would govern, that He would set up His government on the world, that God was going to send a deliverer to save Israel and save the people from their sins. Yet they did not see it. Yet they did believe. Much like Simeon last week when we talked about Simeon, right? Simeon had, had received a promise from God that he would not die unless he saw the Lord's, Lord's Messiah. And Simeon was true to that promise. And Simeon, when he saw the, uh, I shared with you last week, when, he, when the baby Jesus came into the temple for the presentation of the firstborn male, Simeon, what? After they, after they went through the ritual, probably went over to Mary and said, Give me that baby. Now my eyes could die in peace, for my eyes have beheld thy salvation. Listen, God has promised His church that His church would indeed prevail on the earth. Not survive. That His church would prevail on the earth. Hey, Jesus made that, that statement Himself, didn't He? He said, this is my church. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Do you understand that? A lot of times people think, oh, the gates of hell are not going to prevail. So, so evil is going to come against the church. But, but no, no. It's the church marching toward hell. And the gates of hell cannot restrain the church. That's Jesus' promise. Do we believe that? The gates of hell shall not prevail. Why? Because God is indeed faithful to His promises. But let's look at the second half of verse 13. 
But having seen them, what is, he, what is the them? It's the promises. Having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. We like these Old Testament saints, we see things too at a distance. We see a Lord that is due to return. Amen? And He's going to be coming, and He will be coming in glory. He's not coming as that itty-bitty baby. He'll be coming in glory. He'll be, And we see these things. And do we as believers welcome them? Yes. Many times you say, yes, Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come now. I wish I could say, Lord, what are you waiting for? Come now, Lord. We see them. We welcome them from a distance. And it is that seeing and it is that welcoming that makes us feel that we're strangers on this planet. Here's a bulletin for you. If you are in Christ, you are. If you are in Christ... You're not a citizen of the United States nor a citizen of planet Earth. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And all of the injustices and the the hatred that you see running around in the world and the stuff you hear on the news and the stuff you read on social media and that angst and that angst inside of you cries for something greater and it testifies to you that you're not part of this world. But God has destined for His children something far greater. Something better. All that pain, all that hurt, And it's designed because God has provided something greater for the believer. Something greater from us. The Word of God tells us that in the final days, in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, speaking of the the remnant believers that are going to be around at that time, it says of them, he says, by a smooth word speaking of the Antichrist, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. So this is just to give you, he's talking about the Antichrist, but then he says this, but the people who know their God will display strength and do mighty or great exploits. Will do mighty or great deed, deeds. Who does them? It is the people who know their God. Not know about their God. The ones who indeed know their God. I said that that earlier today. God has taken the ordinary people to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. That's the way it's been since creation. Ordinary folks that do mighty things for the kingdom of God. And that is how God always works. And again, I reiterate that statement. It is the people who know their God who will display strength And it is those that will take action. Why? Because God is indeed faithful to His promises. Despite everything we see, despite whatever heartache, 
Do you believe that a day is coming when God will reconcile your every hurt, your every pain, your every disappointment? That there is a day coming when that will all be reconciled? That those who have betrayed you, those that, that have hurt you, whatever the illnesses were, whatever the unexpected things were, that God has for His people a day of reconciliation when these things will all be reconciled together in Christ, in eternity, for the believer. Look at the sufferings of Christ. And I submit to you what is greater, the sufferings of Christ, or the fact that there's an empty tomb and He is risen and coming again. What was greater, the lashes, the beating that He took at the hands of the Sanhedrin, or the fact that He rose from death, bore on His body the sin of all who would put their faith and trust in Christ, ever lives now and is coming back as a reigning King. It will all be reconciled. Everything we've ever experienced will be reconciled and be reconciled in Him. And the people who know their God will do great and mighty deeds. Listen, I, I, I was on a prayer call two weeks ago. I'm on an international prayer call every day at noon. I was on a prayer call and there was a lot of talk about all these laws that are being passed in all these different countries. I'm not going to give you the details. But I made a statement on that call. I said there's a sad thing that has happened in the church today. We see the degeneracy of the world and it shocks us. But what has happened is it has shocked the church to inaction versus action. We see all these things, we get shocked, we, get, we take a step back, and then what do we do? Oh, did you see what they did here? Oh, they passed this law, they passed that law. Oh, they're going to stop allowing church, they're stop, and, and we become immobile. Hey, when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, it shocked this nation into action. On September 11th, when the Twin Towers came down, it shocked this nation into action. Church, we need to be shocked into action. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, uh, against uh, uh, live human beings, but against spiritual forces. And it's time for the church of God to draw the weaponry of God, take the sword of the Spirit, put the helmet of salvation on, put the breastplate of righteousness on, and enter the battle. And you know where you enter the battle? On your knees. Enter the battle. Press into God in prayer. Take some time for fasting and being alone. Meditate and study upon the Word of God so that you don't become a dormant target for the enemy. Listen, many in this day who are professed Christians are shrinking back and going back to the world. It's happening. I know them. They're giving up. But the people who know their God will display strength and do great deeds. Look at verses 14 and 15 with me. Here's the second point. God is faithful in His sovereignty. God is indeed faithful in His promises, the first point, but God is faithful in His sovereignty. Look at verses 14 and 15. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, 
they would have had the opportunity to return. Christ is our King and our Sovereign Lord. All the glory to God that we as believers, we give all the glory to God because we are kingdom citizens. If there's something that the church needs to become preoccupied with, become preoccupied that you are a kingdom citizen. That you live under a holy king. That he is your Lord. That his banner rules over us and waves over us. We are part of the kingdom of God. And listen, we should not make this world our home. We should not get attached to this world. We are ambassadors for Christ. And ambassadors are those who represent the interests of a foreign country in a foreign land for a short period of time. Hear the words of our Lord in Matthew 6, verses 32 to 34. Listen to the Lord's words. He says, For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He's talking about the acquisition, the worries of life, the acquisition of things. But notice what he says here. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of his own. Is that not true? Does each day have an, an, uh, uh, its own trouble? Absolutely. And here the Lord is saying, don't cling to this world. The things in this world are passing. They decay. They're temporal. Including what? Including our very life. And I, You just got to look at me to be evidence of that, man. There was a day I had a whole head of hair. I was looking all... No lines in the face. I go in the mirror and I go... I go, what happened? But the things of this world are passing. And we should not set our affections upon this world. But to set our affections upon Christ. Christ should be our greatest affection. There should be nothing that should be greater in our lives than setting our affections upon Christ. We do not need to be anxious in this world. Our sovereign God is indeed on the throne. Can I say something? I think there was a terrible tragedy that happened with this election. I'm not talking about the politics. I'm talking about the anxiety that it produced in God-fearing people. When the election didn't go a certain way, it was like, what's going to happen now? Oh my goodness, what if they pass this bill? What if they pass that bill? What if they do this? What if they do that? And you know it. You know I've been saying this, so this isn't something new. Our mission does not change as believers. We are still called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are still called to be men and women of faith. Men and women who still can tell other people, thus saith the Lord, God is good. 
And we need to cast all our anxiety upon Him. Listen, those Scriptures were written to people when when Paul wrote, cast all your anxieties upon Him because He cares for you. It's written to people who were under the fear of persecution and death. Not that somebody wasn't going to like them. Not that they would get blasted on social media. But that they were going to lose their life. And he's able to say to them, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Church, we need to do the exact same thing. We, in these troubling times, need to cast all our our anxieties upon Christ. And put it into his hands. So if 2021 turns out to be another year of anxiety... Let us as believers be firm and resolute knowing that the Word of God is true because God is faithful to His Word and God is indeed sovereign over the affairs of this world. Hebrews 12.28 says this. Listen to these words. Hebrews 12.28 Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Our kingdom cannot be shaken. It cannot be pulled from us. It cannot be stolen. It could not be undermined. Our kingdom is secure. Peter says our inheritance is secure in heaven, stored away from us, where rust can't find it, where moth cannot eat it. It cannot decay. It is reserved in heaven for the believer. Our God and His plan rule over all. And our kingdom cannot be shaken, destroyed. God's plans cannot be derailed. How many of you had a little bit of anxiety last week when the news reported, there's a new strand in the UK of coronavirus and it seems much more contagious than before. And the news just couldn't wait to bombard and bombard about this new strand. They know nothing about its lethality. They know nothing about its mortality. But boy, that news broke real quick and real fast. God is faithful in His sovereignty. So we know that God is faithful to His promises. God is faithful in His sovereignty. Look at verse 16. Speaking of this, but as it is, they, those Old Testament saints, desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. (coughs) In 2021 and the ensuing year, should the Lord tarry, do we desire a better country? Let me submit something to you. Our government, by and large, has failed us. I'm not talking about a political party. I'm talking about institutionally. It has failed us. We have seen more than ever that governments are interested in serving governments and not serving people. But God never fails us. And His kingdom is true. And His kingdom 
will reign. And his kingdom is the one place that we could put our confidence, our faith, and our trust in. We mourn when we see depravity. We mourn when we see hatred. We mourn when we see the prejudice of this war- world. We mourn when we see illness and death particularly affecting our loved ones. We mourn when we see unrighteousness of this world and the wickedness in the rulers and the lack of justice in the world system. We mourn because we desire to see those things because those things are consistent with the character and the attributes of God whom we serve and whom we've been born again from. So how did the Lord deal with this? Look at John uh, John 14, verses 1 through 4. John 14, verses 1 through 4. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know where I am going. Now think about this for a moment. We're familiar with this portion of Scripture. We just went through it several months ago. The Lord is telling this to His disciples to encourage them, correct? To encourage them because He was heading to the cross and He knew He was going to be killed and He knew He was going to go that way. So He says that to encourage them. And what's the encouragement? Don't let your heart be troubled Don't let it be afraid. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And I'm telling you what, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If you're in Christ, that place is prepared. If you are in Christ, that is your future. He goes on in John 16, verse 1. These things I've spoken to you that you may be kept from stumbling. Hey, the world's going to get worse, but I'm telling you all these, other, all these things in advance so that you may not trip over them. John 17, verses 14 to 16. Jesus praying to the Father. I have given them Your Word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask You to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth, for your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Sanctify them in truth. We talked about God being faithful to His promises. God being faithful to His sovereignty. And here, our Lord Jesus Christ says, Sanctify those elect. Sanctify those believers in truth. And what is that truth? That we are saved. That we belong to Him. That we are kingdom citizens. And that we have a future inheritance. I know a lot of people, if I came into here and I said, I'm going to, you know, I have this secret prayer that God has given to me 
And if I prayed it on you, you'll never die. I know that a lot of people would be very excited about that. Oh, I'm never going to die. Oh, great, I'm never going to die. I'm never going to die. That's already been taken care of by Jesus Christ. You're never going to die. You have this certainty. And the Creator of all has given you this guarantee that everything will work according to His will and to His ways and to His plan. This terrible virus. Do you think that this took God by surprise? Do you think the antagonism that you see against Christians all over the world has taken God by surprise? Do you think that the election took God by surprise? And I hate to say this, but even things that you might be going through, your unemployment, maybe your economic hardships, God is still on the throne and God is still working everything according to the counsel of His will. And you indeed have an intercessor in Christ. And you indeed have an advocate in Christ. And you indeed have the Holy Spirit within you that prays for you in ways you don't know how to pray with groanings too deep for words. Folks, we're not alone. No matter how adverse our circumstances, we are not alone. God has equipped, God has enabled, God has provided, and God will see us all the way home. I know that we as God's children yearn for justice, righteousness, loving kindness, and peace. The problem is we're not going to find justice, righteousness, loving kindness, and peace in our government, in the news, in social media, in conspiracy theories, on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, organizations that are led by unbelievers who are adversaries of believers. It's just true. It just really is. Matter of fact, my encouragement, my admonition to believers is reduce the amount of time you spend on social media. Reduce it. It produces anxiety, fear, uncertainty, and all the other different things. Plus aggravation. Do you ever see some of the things that you just get aggravated on? And increase your time in the Word of God. Increase your time in prayer. Increase your time in the meditation upon God's Word. Increase your time in serving Christ through to others and through His church. Hey, that is what's going to satisfy. That is what we have been created for. That is what we have been saved for. We all know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace we have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, right? But what does verse 10 say? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God had foreordained that we should walk with Him. We have been created for good works to advance the kingdom of God upon the earth. That when men and women lay hold of us, they say that woman walks with Christ. That man walks with Christ. That young person walks with Christ. And we advance the kingdom of God. 
Remember the folks that the writer of Hebrews was writing about? They searched for something better. And they knew it was not on earth. They knew it was not on earth. You're searching for something better. Here it is. It's not on earth. It's the kingdom of God. What Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all things shall be added. May I add that none of us are here by accident. God has each one of us here precisely, currently at this point in time in history. So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be scared. Let's live in the authority and in the might of Christ. So what's our takeaway? What's our application? We have seen how God is faithful to His promises, how God is faithful to His sovereignty, and how God is faithful to His people. What is our call to action? So what do we do with this? What's the big deal? Why is this important? I think it's best found in Paul's words in Galatians 2.20. Paul writes, I've been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. No final words, I think, could ever be spoken. Christ considered the price, Paul considered the price of Christ so high that he considered himself dead to this world. He crucified himself. And he said, the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Oh, more and more believers would just do that. The church on earth would be a force unstoppable. Let us live our lives by faith in the Son of God, trusting Him for every purpose. Trusting Him in the good. Trusting Him in the trial. Trusting Him when we're, we're happy and, and, and trusting Him when we're at our wits end, maybe overwhelmed in tribulation. And take the trust that you have in the government. And take the trust that you have in money. And take the trust that you have in every other system and put it into Christ. And let us serve the Lord with intentionality. Let's be intentional in our service. Let's be intentional in our worship. Let us be intentional in our prayer. Let us be intentional in our study. Let us be intentional in our instruction of our children. Let us be intentional as we proclaim the Word of God. Let us serve Him with all diligence and commitment. And may I add something else? Let us serve Him with passion and not indifference. Let us know the God of the Word as well as knowing the Word of God. 
Let us come to that place where our heart is flooded with the presence of God. That's why we pray for revival. That God would do a work among His people. That God would awaken His people. That we would come to that place where we know God and not merely know about God. And let us make our commitment to the Lord to honor that commitment that He is indeed Lord. And we will serve Him. Now I've spoken these words to people that I define as born again, Bible-believing followers of Christ. Christians by new birth, not by heritage. But if you've not come to that place of faith whereby you have turned from your sins and wholly entrusted yourself by faith to Christ's finished work on the cross, then I cannot leave this service without calling on you and giving you your opportunity to repent of your sins and be born again. The Word of God tells us that everyone is a sinner. This is a serious thing because we're violators of the Word of God. We have violated the Word of God. Now, people hear the word, I'm a sinner, they think, oh, you're, you're judging me, I'm a bad person. Listen, I'm judging me when I say we're all sinners. And we were born into this corruption. And God laid down His moral standard and His moral standards contained in the Ten Commandments. And if you ever want to do a self-review, just review the Ten Commandments. Did you ever lie? you ever cheat? you ever stolen something? Did you ever look on a man or a woman with lust in your heart and committed adultery? Have you ever taken the name of the Lord's name in vain? Even by just going, O-M-G. That's called blasphemy. Here's the point. In those Ten Commandments, you need a hundred to pass. You can't get away with a ninety. You need a hundred. And if everybody evaluates themselves justly, and I'll use myself as an example, I violated all of them. I have no problem saying that. I have violated them all and that made me a violator of God's law so you're not a sinner because you sin you sin because you are a sinner that's the difference and what God would say is that if God had not provided a substitute if God had not provided a sacrifice, we would all be lost and damned to hell. That's just a simple matter. But indeed, God provided a sacrifice. We just acknowledged the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul says when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son. He sent forth His Son born of a woman, born 
under the law to redeem those under the law. The prophet Isaiah talked about, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. He talks about, come let us reason together, Isaiah 1.18, though your sins be red as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be white as wool. God had provided a substitute. Christ came down, left his thrones in heaven, came down to be born of a woman, fully God, fully man. If you stuck a needle in him, blood would come out. And we saw that blood flow on Calvary's cross. If you punched him, he bruised. Christ became hungry. Christ became tired. Christ slept. Christ walked. And Christ came to fulfill the law that all of that law would be fulfilled in Him so that He could become that perfect sacrifice. And how did He become that perfect sacrifice? By willingly giving His life in obedience to the Father. And what the Father had asked for Him was, Christ, You are to take upon Yourself the punishment for sin for all who put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. This is an internal question. Now some of you here, praise God, can answer that in the affirmative. I have. I have come. I have turned from my sin. We use the term repent. I have turned from my sin and I have turned to Christ. And I have placed all of my faith and everything upon Him and Him alone. But some people instead go to church. And some people rely on being a good person. And some people say, I'm okay, I'm not as bad as that person over there. But where you have to come is you have to come to that place. As Paul said, Crucify yourself so that the life you live, you live by faith in the Son of God. If you have never done that, if you have never come to that place where you totally surrender and emptied yourself of yourself, then let me beg you And let me admonish you by the Word of God today. Please do so. Turn from your sin. Turn to Christ. He's the only one that can save. Come to Him and be born again. The words of Jesus in John 3, 3 to Nicodemus. Unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That means to be born from above, born from God. You were born of your mother and your father. Now it's time for you to be born from your Holy Father above and to turn from your sins and to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from eternal judgment. And find new life in Christ. If you've never done that, then as we go to pray right now, 
I encourage you as we go to pray right now that you cry out to Father and you say, Lord, God, save me a sinner. You know my heart. You know everything about me. I turn. I'm tired of doing it myself and working for my salvation. Father, by faith, I entrust myself to Christ. Will you do that as we pray? And if you do that today, Will you just come up to me at the end of the service and say, Pastor, I've given my heart to Christ. I've turned from my sins and I have repented. And Pastor, I want to I wanna follow Jesus. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, I pray, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that as we enter 2021, that, Father, Lord God, that we would not fear. That we would indeed remember that God is faithful to His promises. That God is faithful in His sovereignty. And that God is faithful to His people. And Lord, that instead of anxiety,